Are you enjoying this free audiobook from Scribble.com? You may not know that Scribble has much more than just free audiobooks. Audiobooks, ebooks, we're adding new titles all the time. You can skip these ads and get higher quality audio files by purchasing audiobooks on Scribble. Even better, every audiobook you buy from Scribble comes with the ebook at no additional charge. Visit us at scribble.com. That's S C R I B L dot com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to my novel, False Alarm, a free serialized audiobook read by me, the author, Heather Stallings. Music by Mark Bruce. This book contains content best suited for adults. Please visit my website, heatherstallings.com. Chapter 5 Monday morning, first thing, J.P. sauntered into Kate's office. The meeting was killer, he bragged. Pedro's going to stop by when he's in the hood. Are you a betting gal, he asked, rubbing his fingers together. When do you think he'll come? I'm not betting, Kate said, sulking. Hey, I'm willing to put money on it, J.P. said. Cut you in on the action. I'm willing to level the playing field. Get out of here, Kate said, pushing him out the door and slamming it. She could have had the deal herself. She would not take J.P.'s crumbs. She yanked her curtain closed over the interior window so she wasn't in a fishbowl. Then at her desk, she unbuttoned her blouse, unclasped her bra in the front, and plugged in both breasts to her electric pumps. No one in the office ever mentioned the whirring pump noise, which sounded like she was churning ice cream. The phones were ringing outside. She could hear Kingsley in the hallway singing, Woke up in New York City in a funky, cheap hotel. She took my heart and she took my money. It surprised her that he really wasn't that bad of a singer. From his office, Peter banged on her wall. Holy crap, make him stop it, Kate. Kate ignored him and picked up a voicemail. It was from her mother. Was she canceling Christmas again? Kate wondered this as she dialed her. It wasn't the first Christmas her mother had threatened not to come. During Kate's freshman year at the University of Washington, her mother had told her that she was having Christmas in Mexico with a man named Pete. Kate was welcome to drive home to Spokane, a five-hour drive from Seattle over Snoqualmie Pass. Her mother would stock the refrigerator and trim a tree, but she really needed to develop her own life. A week later, her mother said she'd changed her mind about Mexico and begged Kate to come home. When Kate arrived, her room had been turned into an office. Only her Tom Petty posters remained. And her mother never mentioned the man named Pete again. Mom, hi, Kate said. Her mother sounded breathless. MF's not coming for Christmas, Virginia asked. Of course not, Kate said. Matthew Francis McCabe was Kate's father, whom Virginia now referred to as MF. He would not leave the East Coast for a San Francisco paper snowflake Christmas. When Virginia had left him, he made sure she didn't get any money. He screwed me for 15 years, and that was the first time I ever felt anything, her mother was fond of saying. You think I might bring a friend? her mother asked. You're getting married, aren't you? Kate asked. 
Her mother had been married twice before, but this would be the quickest. You can hear it in my voice, can't you, dear? Yep. New Year's Day in Las Vegas, her mother said. A stroke after midnight. Too late for you to be up. Are you still doing the nursing? In her mother's day, breasts were bound and starvation diets, martinis, and painkillers prescribed. Like Sandy, her mother thought Kate's plans to continue nursing were excessive. Sometimes Kate wondered whether her mother was jealous of Kate's physical bond with her daughter. I just dropped a feeding, Kate said, knowing it would please her mother. It hurts this time. I'm trying the old cabbage in the bra thing. Cabbage? Her mother choked. I wouldn't even eat cabbage, let alone put it in my bra. I think you'll like Barry. I'm sure I will, Kate said. Was that permission to bring him? I'll make our reservations, Virginia said. It was. Sandy would hate it. He never liked any of Virginia's friends. So what does Barry do? Kate asked. Oh, something with the internet, her mother said quickly. Never want to take an interest in technology or anything mechanical. She didn't have the concentration to put the toilet paper on the roller or the patience to set jello. Does he have a degree? Kate asked. Nothing formal, her mother giggled, and Kate couldn't help but smile herself. So extreme was their role reversal. What's that weird noise? Her mother asked. Nothing, Kate said. It sounds like you're pumping. Just then, Kate saw a shadow of James rushing toward her door with papers in hand. She could always tell it was him, the way he charged her office with faxes fluttering. Stop and go, a flock of pigeons suddenly taking off from a park bench. The phone in her hand, she had no time to cover herself. James burst through her door and tossed something in her box. It was a habit to toss, eyes cast down, then run, to prevent any unnecessary conversation. He glanced at her and froze as she sat with her shirt wide open, the conical contraptions sucking at her breasts like something out of science fiction. His face was stunned round innocence and as white as the moon. Kate, are you there? her mother said over the phone. Sorry, Kate said, ducking the precious breast milk spilling onto the carpet and soaking the front of her silk blouse. My pumping sign must have fallen off. She hung up on her mother. James was out the door, the waistband of his plaid boxer showing above his corduroys. His scraggly ponytail, secured by a rubber band, reached the small of his back. James, I'm decent, she said. Come back. He peeked around the corner and seeing her hidden behind the desk, entered her office again. Beads of perspiration dotted his upper lip. It seemed that he really wanted to tell her something. What is it? She called over her desk. Pedro's here, he said. What? Pedro's sense of timing was about as good as hers. Had he really stopped by while in the hood? More likely, J.P., wanting her to bet, hadn't told her about the meeting. She peeked over her desk, struggling to button her blouse. James stood still, his Chicago Bulls t-shirt untucked. He wants a lemon calistoga, James said, and a brown muffin, if it isn't too much trouble. Kate reached up to her desk and grabbed her purse. She tossed him a $20 bill. Go out the back way and find him something at the deli across the street, she said. I'll handle this. Buttoned up again, she stood and took the back way out of the office to the restroom. In the single-stall women's bathroom across the hall, she stood in front of the hand dryer. 
In less than a minute, she no longer looked like she'd been hit by a water balloon, but she had a huge stain on her blouse that could have been a map of Alaska. Maybe she could quickly change into her crop tank top that she'd worn to the gym. The toilet still flushing behind her, Kate rushed into the hallway only to collide into someone. Someone tall, someone wearing lots of aftershave, but not aqua velva. Kate couldn't look. She glanced at her pointy, high-heeled shoe that she'd accidentally kicked down the hall. Her black nylons were slippery. I'm so sorry, he said, his big hands on her shoulders. Are you okay? Fine, Kate said, though she'd twisted her ankle. She tried to stand upright, but she only wore one shoe. It's my fault, she said, tottering on one foot, finally peeking at his face. She recognized the dark eyes that had stared at her from the sports illustrated on her nightstand, the straight nose and velvet skin of an exotic climate. They're always so much bigger in person, Kate thought, glancing down at his thighs, muscling through his jeans. His sculpted arms were a beautiful bronze in his loose black cotton shirt. Kate McCabe, she said, holding out her hand. I'm sorry I missed our meeting. I'd like to blame it on my dog, but... Pedro smiled with coconut teeth, spaced wide, dimples that dented his cheeks. Don't worry, I got your message, he said in that hint of an accent. Spanish, but something else. Kate could see links of a chain, not gold, more like a keychain, falling under his collar. A crucifix, she imagined. She just knew. Pedro retrieved her shoe, size nine and a half, but it looked like Cinderella's in his big hand. He kneeled before her. Your foot, he said, looking at her with a small smile, his shining eyes locked on hers. Kate slipped her foot into his palm, her hand falling to his hard shoulder for balance. It felt like stone. The man was an absolute rock. Sandy would have her fetch her own shoe while commenting on her klutziness, all in good humor, of course. But as Pedro gently palpated her foot for an injury, she knew he would catch her if she fell. Pedro slipped her shoe on her foot. Was she swooning? Get a grip, she told herself, wobbling, about to collapse into him. The office door flung open. There you are! J.P. stood in the doorway with Kingsley and James stacked behind him. James holding a liter bottle of lemon calistoga by the neck and a brand muffin wrapped in plastic. I see y'all brought our guest to his knees, J.P. said to Kate, always full of compliments that failed to give her a warm fuzzy. What happened to your shirt, J.P. asked. Kate ignored him. Good to see you again, Pedro. J.P. held out his hand as Pedro climbed to his feet. This is Kingsley Gartmore, the big boss. They all shook hands. Kingsley started humming, and J.P. stepped on his toe. Kate went over to James and put her hands on his shoulders. And this is James Christmas, she said, our communications officer. Good to meet you, Pedro said, holding out his hand. James, overawed, said nothing. He held out the muffin as an offering. Hey, thanks a lot, Pedro said. Raisins, too. Great. They all shuffled toward the office lobby, Pedro a half-foot taller than J.P., who was a solid six feet. Pedro stopped to hold the door open for Kate. My mother always told me to let the lady go first, he said, with a sweep of his hand. Thank you, Kate said. His eyes seemed to be stuck on her. 
Kate's no lady, J.P. said. She's one of the boys. If you need money moved around, she's the one to call. If y'all have an investment question, then call May, and if I can't answer it, I'll patch you right through to the boss. Kate knows her stuff, Pedro said, turning deftly to take her in, the bouldery width of him astonishing. I was learning a lot talking to her in the hallway. J.P. turned his head and caught the way Pedro was looking at her. Yep, J.P. said. Kate's book learned and can crunch a number or two in a pinch, but Kingsley's the born wizard. Kingsley scraped along beside them, smiling his painted smile again, blushing to his ears. He'll talk to y'all about your future. J.P. rubbed his large, dimpled chin. And by future, I do mean after football. He lifted a finger as they turned the corner into the inner office corridor. At Sports Financial, we don't drop y'all after the leagues do. Kate thought about an ex-client who'd made $5 million during a three-year career as a Kansas City-wide receiver, then bought an auto dealership with what was left after five paternity suits, four monster trucks, and eight luxury vehicles. He was now eating out of cans and living in a can at a trailer park in Arizona. Pedro said nothing about J.P.'s spiel. I know, you're the bullet man, J.P. said. Nobody runs with y'all. Pedro seemed annoyed with him. Looks like you guys could use a new couch, he said finally, as they walked into Kingsley's office. Kate smiled and rolled her eyes. As a matter of fact, this happens to be Joe Montana's former hide-a-bed, J.P. said, pausing for effect and tapping the signed photo of a grinning Joe that hung over it. And in any case, we prefer to invest our profits in technology. J.P. waved an arm at a black-and-white computer monitor in the corner, which Kingsley had finally retired. Y'all probably go to a lot of these fancy-schmancy offices with matching furniture, but here we feel that a sofa is about as a poor investment as an automobile. Pedro touched the silvery scar under his eye. That was a rare slip of the tongue for J.P., Kate thought. Of course Pedro was planning to buy a car. They all bought cars after they signed their big contracts. Basketball players were even worse. It wasn't just the cars for them, but the clothes and the jewelry. The credit card bills were loaded with Versace and Tiffany's charges. Sometimes Kate and Jennifer would play a game trying to figure out whether the clothes and jewelry were for women, but most often the purchases were for the guy. The athletes' cars established the pecking order. When one guy bought a certain Porsche, another guy requested that his speakers be the size of its tires. Kate wanted to gag, but it was never hers to decide. A guy has to drive something, Kate said, and Pedro winked at her. Out of the corner of her eye, Kate saw Peter the Red headed toward the kitchen with Kingsley's prized aquarium, which he kept in the conference room. The water was murky, muddied with algae, and Kate wondered whether there was even a fish still in it. Peter was straining, his dress shirt taut on his shoulders, about to drop the tank and make a terrible mess. Excuse me for one second, Kate said, dashing to the kitchen. Somehow her parental instincts always kicked in. When Kate got to the kitchen, Peter had set the tank on the counter next to the sink. What's going on? Kate asked. You think I'm a bum, don't you? Peter said, lifting the tank. But I even do chores while I'm here. 
Poor little fishy Beta. He can't see out. Kingsley's pet could poison himself in his own waste. I don't want Kingsley arriving at work to a floater. My job is to protect him from things like that. This isn't necessary, she said. Don't. He turned the tank, pouring water out into a vase. Stop it, Kate said. Pedro's here. What? The fish whizzed out, a silver streak, bouncing past the vase and sliding down the garbage disposal. Holy, Peter said. They looked at each other. The fish was way down there, the flapping gills like shallow breaths. Peter glanced at his bandaged hand, still hurt from his encounter with Nestor. It reminded Kate that she still needed to find Peter a shrink. As if with his bizarre behavior, she needed reminding. Poor Beta down the chute, Peter said. He was almost whimpering. Without thinking, Kate plunged her hand into the disposal, her arm gone to the elbow. She grasped the slimy thing and yanked it out. Beta was in her white hand, twisting and flapping. She turned and held the fish out to Peter, and they were all before her, Kingsley, J.P., and Pedro, who was staring at her with wonder. Peter was ashen. You know that's a piranha, don't you? What? Oh, she said, and plunged Beta into the vase and watched him dive to the bottom. She shook out her hand, remembering Beta's weird underbite, the razor teeth. Pedro began clapping, and the others, taking the cue, applauded as well. Kate's first standing ovation. She could get used to it. Nice job, Pedro said. Kate smiled. It occurred to her that she might actually be a girl with balls, and this gave her a lift. Maybe she had hidden reserves that she hadn't tapped yet. So what did I miss? she asked. Right on, Pedro, Peter said, patting Pedro on the back. Good to see you. Peter's skin glowed with perspiration. How's that turf toe? Ugh, the touching problem again, Kate thought. Pedro wasn't phased, but it got only worse when the tour continued into the file room, only impressive for its sheer volume of files. Peter held up his hand like a cruise director, stopping them, then told Pedro that he wanted to share an important story about a not-to-be-named quarterback and his wife. I told him how he would grow to be loyal to Sports Financial when Merrill Lynch approached him, the way he was loyal to his wife when women fans stripped to their flesh-colored panties at the visiting team hotels. Peter diagrammed this by drawing stick figures on a whiteboard with a green magic marker. Except, turns out, sad story, that we had to move his portrait to our hall of shame. Next to Kate, Kingsley recoiled, J.P. was at a rare loss for words, perhaps for fear of being lumped in with Peter. Pedro was looking at Kate, as if pleading to be rescued. Kate took a deep breath. Say something intelligent, she thought. Pedro, Kate said, I'm ready to take over your taxes so you don't have to think about them. And if you need any last-minute errands for the holidays, no job is too small for me. Sounds perfect, Pedro said. He looked at Kingsley. Kate's really on top of things, he said. That's right, Peter said, jumping in for Kingsley, who had not said a word. Kate can help you buy gifts for your lady friends. She really knows her Victoria's secrets. She's a size two if you need a comparable. Kate flushed to her hairline. He's not buying a condo, she said, with a bit too much oomph. 
It took everything she had not to stomp on Peter's tuxedo shoes with her spiked heel. Kingsley and J.P. had oh-my-God looks, their mouths pinched into O's. But Pedro was cracking up. Sorry, little flower, he said. The boys were dumbfounded. Little flower? Had he gotten the daisies? Kate wondered. She's more of an iron magnolia, Kingsley said, his first word since hello. As the boy stood there in silence and Pedro wiped tears from his eyes, Kate realized that it was only now dawning on her colleagues that, invited or not, she had entered the Pedro sweepstakes and that she intended to beat them. Back in her office, Kate sat at her desk trying to process what had just happened on Pedro's tour. She considered calling Sandy with the exciting news of meeting Pedro, but her confidence about sealing the deal quickly dissipated. After all, Pedro was just flirting with her. That's what these players did with women. No doubt he was well-mannered and charming. She loved how he stood up for her. But get real, he wasn't serious about doing business with her, unless he wanted her advice in picking out scarves or heels or whatever for Laura or whoever his latest conquest happened to be at the moment. Yes, Kate could help him with his taxes, but Pedro, like the rest of the boys, would still consider her a glorified Girl Friday. Before Kate could feel sorry for herself any further, there was a knock at her door. Go away, Jennifer, Kate called. A second knock. Stop it. Kate jumped to her feet, full of frustration, and flung open the door. Pedro stood before her, filling the doorway. Where'd you go? he asked. Oh, Kate said, looking up at him. She was in her stocking feet. They usually don't let me sit in on the client meetings. But you're their best asset, he said, smiling. I loved you with that man-eater. Please come in, Kate said. He stepped in and shut the door behind him, the electricity lifting the tiny hairs on the back of her neck. He leaned against her door. I was trapped in there getting lectured about car insurance, he said. I kept praying you'd pop in and talk about my taxes some more. He looked down at her feet. Where should I look for your shoes, he asked. Kate bit her lip. Give me a hint, he said. Under my desk. Pedro tilted his head, his lower lip like a plum, and she stared. She remembered how Sandy had told her that she shouldn't be so shy around these athletes. More knocking on her door. Kate, Jennifer called. Kate, should I hold your calls? Kate ignored her. About those taxes, she said. I promise you I'd... Right, Pedro said. When can we get together to talk about accounting? How about Friday night? Taxes, she smiled, rising up on her toes so he wouldn't be so much bigger, so much in charge. But maybe she liked that he was in charge. Had he just asked her about getting together? Friday night, she had no nanny as Consuelo went clubbing. That particular night away from her household would require an unprecedented amount of marital credit involving Sandy thawing and microwaving breast milk. Kate smiled at Pedro. I'm free, she said. Hi, I'm back. It's Heather. Thanks for listening. Do the athletes understand the overcommitted woman? I remember one of them coming into my office when I was pregnant with my son. I was trying to explain his paycheck, I think, why the taxes were taken out. 
Looks like you've got company, he said, of my large stomach. Company, I thought. What do these guys think? So I've spent a lot of time bad-copping athletes about their spending, and in particular, their cars. Athletes and cars are a big problem. I handled insurance, and that's impossible because no one wants to insure them with their deep pockets and fast cars. I once called up an athlete who was obviously in his new uninsured Mercedes. I knew which car it was because we bought it. And I could hear him honking and the tires screeching. And I think his last car he rolled with a few hundred miles on it. And so it went something like this. I said, you're not driving, are you? It was my mother tone. Just a little, I guess, he said, kind of apologetically. Get off the road, I said. Pull over and I'll come get you. So there's lots of gems in that job, and I'm sure you have plenty in yours, too. And that was my strength, tough love, and being the so-called hard ass. The boys left that to me so they could be more popular, and popularity is what it's all about. One more thing on inspiration for scenes. Okay, full disclosure. Beta, I think I mentioned, was the name of my brother's piranha, named after the Beta house, his frat house. Uh, So my other brother, also a Beta, decided to help him out and clean the piranha's cage and accidentally poured poor Beta down the drain. And he ended up having to take apart the sink to get him out and did rescue him eventually. A bit of a scare. So uh, inspiration can come from anywhere. And uh, I will... Talk to you next week when we will hear Chapter 6. Goodbye. For more information, please go to my website, heatherstallings.com. I'd love to hear from you. Please go on iTunes and give this podcast five stars. False Alarm is available cheap on the Kindle, and Amazon sells it in paperback. Please write a review on Amazon, Smashwords, or Goodreads. Thanks again, and talk to you next week. Till soon.